Hey everyone, welcome back to the Leadership Locker. This is Rich Cardona and I got put in touch with this guest from a great friend of mine, Sel Watts, who owns Watts Next PX, a HR transformation company of sorts. And she put me in touch with Jesse Grossman, who is the head of a nonprofit called WIM, or it's, which is short for Women in Influencer Marketing. And I'm like, influencer marketing, that is absolutely something we have not talked about yet on this show. And I thought it was really important to break down what the hell an influencer is, how they should be categorized, what is an influencer deal, what should someone pay attention to if they feel like they are on the verge of becoming an influencer or literally getting paid for what they're doing, the content that they're creating, the visibility that they're giving certain brands. It's just different. So Jesse has a couple decades of experience in the digital world as an agency owner, as a talent management representative for actors, and she has a podcast. So this is the perfect person to talk to. And she is in New York City. So we were able to get together for this one's a little bit long. This one's almost an hour. So we got to talking about everything just all the facets of, of this industry that so many people don't know anything about because it's so foreign to us and it's almost, you know, looked at in a negative light. So I wanted to dispel any rumors, educate you, educate me. So that's exactly what we're going to do. Here we go. All right, everyone, I'm here with Jessie Grossman. She's out of New York and she runs a digital agency specifying in influencer marketing. And she also runs a podcast, Women in Influencer Marketing. Now, right here as we were warming up, I told her a little bit about what we did and why this podcast exists. But I think it's really important to kind of start with this kind of area of marketing that I think is completely misconstrued. So I would love if we could start there and if you could tell us a little bit about what influencer marketing marketing is and what it isn't. So, you know, our area of focus, of course, is social media influencers. And that spans from, you know, old school YouTube, Facebook, uh, but mostly these days, Instagram um, and TikTok is huge. Um, so people who are on there have a strong point of view, um, have a lot to say, or whether it's inspirational, aspirational, um, and everything in between, um, who have a sizable audience who's really intrigued by this person because they they have this it factor they have some sort of pull they have they have influence um, and so from there um, my company uh, which is women and in influencer marketing we're actually a nonprofit um, and we are a networking organization specifically for the industry side of those who work in influencer marketing so who does that who does that encompass. That encompasses ad agency folks, PR folks, brands, of course, talent managers. Uh, there's a lot of tech companies in the space. And it's a great community that we've built uh, across, like you mentioned, a podcast. We have a private, really thriving private Facebook community. And uh, we have a premium membership that's launching very soon. Um, and it's just a place where we can all share information because as, as much as this industry has been around now for you know 10 plus years, years in the grand scheme of things, it's still very new. There are still tons of questions in a year like 
2020 in particular, we're all trying to figure out what the heck we're supposed to be doing with, you know, the social issues, the economic issues. It's it's really heightened time. So to come up with an effective advertising campaign can be really difficult these times. Um, so that's what our community does. And we provide the resources to help the women in our community do their work better. Now, let me ask, let's start at the the base level is, is how I like to think about it. Who is an influencer? Uh, they, who, who deems someone an influencer? If I see someone on Instagram or LinkedIn and they consider themselves an influencer, how much attention should I pay to that? And you mentioned TikTok. Is that gentleman who was on the skateboard listening to Fleetwood Mac who went absolutely ridiculous viral? Is he an influencer now because of that one video? So how does it kind of work in terms of categorizing and anointing, so to speak, someone who has legit influence on an industry or a product? So really good question. Um, and I saw that same video popped up like first on every time I opened the app, that guy I know. on the skateboard. <laughs> I saw the day it came out before it went yeah. ballistic. And I was like, it was so enjoyable to watch. I don't, I don't even know how to explain it. <laughs> so I guess he had influence, right? Um, you know, a lot of people on the internet have influence, but what really tests their, uh, their longevity um, is, you know, if they can maintain that influence over a long stretch of time. Um, you know, if you, if you look at that, that specific guy, and I, I don't even, I haven't even uh, proofed this concept, but I would, I feel pretty strongly that if you look at his TikTok um, and if he has, let's say, you know, millions of views, if that was the only one video that was interesting, he'd probably only have, you know, maybe a few thousand followers. But if he had a whole, you know, a whole library's worth of really interesting content going back a while, all of those people who viewed that video, a majority of them would probably convert into followers versus just views, just passing by. So when it comes from a brand's perspective, uh, which is, you know, the people who are spending thousands and thousands of dollars activating and partnering with these influencers, they're looking for influencers who have an audience that stuck around for a while where there's real true influence there because it's not just a, like a one-time, um, you know, shout out into an echo chamber. It's somebody who is consistently putting out influential messages and influential things out into the world. And it's like a TV show. They come back, they tune in, um, they want to check in and, and see what's going on on that station, you know? Yeah, and I completely agree with you as far as the consistency aspect of it all. Now, if someone is on social media because they believe they have a message that they want to be heard or they just want to help one person and they're not necessarily looking to be an influencer, but all of a sudden, you know, wow, like 100 views turned into 1000 views. And now people are DMing me, not just commenting. People are thanking me for this information. At what point should I, if I'm someone who is a creative or someone who has a business or who has a product, think about contacting someone about leveraging my brand or is it the other way around? Do you wait for the brands to come to you and that's when you know you've quote unquote arrived? So that's a really good question. It's like the chicken before the egg question. So uh, when it comes to 
you know, let me, let me start here. Influencers can have all kinds of different careers and there's only one, one version of that in which they work with brands because influencers, people who are online doing, um, you know, cultivating a community can have a, a number of different revenue streams. And so I think that that's very important to say off the bat. But if their goal is to align themselves with some big brands and promote products, and you know that is the one of the most lucrative sides of the industry and being an influencer, then there's yeah there's a very particular way that they go about it. Um, but to your question about you know do I reach out to brands first or do I wait for you know wait for them to come to me? I mean this is just a fundamental life question. I just firmly <laughs> believe that. Um, I personally haven't been someone who sits around and waits for people to come to me. That's gotten me very little in life, but by pursuing, you know, things that I want very intentionally and mindfully, um, that's the way to get them. So, um, you gotta, you know, you gotta get yourself in front of, of these brands, um, express interest, uh, let them know how, how much you love their products and why you are a fit for them, why your audience is an audience where that would buy their products. And, and then why now, um, we talk about this a lot in the group. I used to do this, uh, think about this a lot more when I had my own agency, um, where we represented social media influencers, but, you know, we talk about the pitch itself and, um, we we actually have a, a casting service as part of WIM. So I'm consistently seeing, you know, the, the hundred plus management companies in our organization, um, respond to these brand proposals, right. Where the brand is like, I'm looking for an influencer who fits X, Y, and Z spec. Who do you have? And, you know, some of them are really artful in their pitch. And some of them are just like, this person. <laughs> mm -hmm. And if you just, you just have to think from the other, from the other end, you know, what, what's so compelling, you got to make a really good pitch. And so whether it's from an agent or a manager who represents an influencer or the influencer themselves, just thinking very specifically how to have yourself stand out. And there has to be something special there and compelling. And I think that's really important to note. I think that's the easiest thing to overthink because you can go in so many different directions and all of a sudden if you're observing your direct competition, so to speak, if, if, if I am trying to appeal to a clothing brand and I'm trying to make something unique about myself and all of a sudden I look, I'm like, wow, everyone's doing that. I'm not, I'm not that sharp. <laughs> you know, I, I'm, there's nothing too different. Uh, I want to ask with that, where do you see the balance of of kind of storytelling in addition to just being unique in general, maybe visually appealing or or just creative in general? But I, does storytelling, you know, play a part in this? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the skilled part of it. You know, when we talk about what really makes an influencer versus somebody who just happened to have a, a, a funny day on the internet. <laughs> you know, that that's somebody who is a real true influencer and a real professional in in this industry. Um, so yeah, telling a story, really important, um, but also connecting the dots, right? So that's really what a talent manager does. Um, but, you know, every influencer should have a significant period of time, in my opinion, where they don't have a manager, where they really learn the ins and outs uh, as an entrepreneur themselves. Because fun fact, once you get a manager, like your job still isn't over. <laughs> 
um, you still have a lot of work to do. Uh, the manager just supports it, but that's another topic we can chat about later if you like, but, um, but yeah, you know, when you're pitching yourself as an influencer, um, it's really about connecting the dots. It's not just thinking about your brand and it's not even just thinking about the other brand. It's thinking about how is this a, a great partnership? And again, it's like, why me, but also why now, why us? Uh, and really being able to articulate that you got to, you got to realize that the brand is going to have its very specific goals. Uh, if they're going to be, you know, cutting you a, a paycheck here. So, you know, their goals are anything from, you know, selling product to brand awareness to a lot of things in between. And um, I think it's important to just recognize, you know, what do they need out of this equation? How can I help them achieve that? Um, and of course, recognizing that it's not necessarily you, it's a, it could be your content perhaps if they just want to repurpose it, but more, much, much more often than that, it's about your audience. And so really understanding the analytics and the demographics of who is following you, who's the most engaged, who do you convert into paid customers, age-wise, location-wise, gender, um, and all of the platforms give you that data uh, coupled with just maybe surveys you run on your own, um, questions that you ask in your stories to just really better understand your audience because they are absolutely hand in hand uh, with your brand. Thank you. Now, as you were saying that, I immediately got to this place where, and I wrote it down and it's so horribly written, but I can read it. It says, how does someone focus on the end user? So we're talking about the brand and we're talking about the person, but the end goal is, as you said, to kind of form a partnership. Why does this make sense? And the reason it would make sense is because ultimately it potentially influences buyer behavior of the product or service that you're selling or whatever it may be. But if I am someone who's now in a position to potentially be an influencer and I have been completely focused on putting value-added content or whatever it may be, and I'm thinking about the person at the end, how do I avoid making it about me when all of a sudden I might be talking to big brands and now maybe I'm making a lot more money. This is a dream come true. And, and here I've arrived and I've lost focus. I mean, I'm sure you've seen that. Uh, and I'm actually, maybe that's the question. Have you seen that? And what would you do to avoid that? Sure. So, you know, I think the, I think that the one thing I would recommend to anybody who really wants to get into this is to just stay focused. It can be really easy to get all like starry-eyed about this industry and like also just very maybe overwhelmed with the amount of possibility, potential partnerships coming your way or, or not coming your way, but the dream that they could be. There's so much. It's, you know, it's funny. Wim, we're actually doing, uh, we have a lot of events and one of the events that we're doing is just about like burnout. <laughs> it's about, you know, how to balance this all. I've said many times that it's a, uh, like it could be a pretty manic industry. Um, social media in its core can be, you know, I don't know if you happen to catch that recent Netflix special, The Social Dilemma. I haven't because I feel like it'll make me get off of my phone for <laughs> two days, two days, and then I'll just be right back on doing everything the same again. Yeah. But go ahead. I'm really interested on what, what you saw. Yeah. I mean, we did a whole podcast 
podcast episode on it. A lot of people have, you know, talked about it. I've heard lots of other podcasts, YouTube videos, et cetera, on it. You know, not to get too deep into that, but it, it just it proves the point that we all pretty much know already, <laughs> which is just that in uh, like social media is, you know, it can be very overwhelming. It can be all encompassing. And like you wake up in the morning, first thing in the morning, what do you do? You're on your phone through the nighttime. And imagine if you're doing that for a living. So there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of really important topics that we try to consistently talk about in whim to just stay on top of that. And just mental health is really important. Um, burnout is real, whether you're an influencer yourself and having to constantly create engaging content. I mean, you have a podcast yourself, you know. That's funny you say that. I wrote a post today on LinkedIn. I wrote, I felt pressure to post today. So all I'm going to say is I'm having a great day and I hope you have a great week. I mean, that's all I wrote. And I'm just like, well, you know, that, or I'm going to scrounge you know, to just put something that probably does no good. And I mean, that is, I, I really feel like there's so much pressure out there. And I, I really very much agree with what you're saying that the ability to burn out, especially if you haven't really caught any traction yet, that burnout can ultimately lead to you not following through on something that could have been. Yeah. Whether you've got success already and you're just ch chasing more success, which, you know, can be dangerous, right? Uh, like when, do, do, are you ever going to reach that success? Are you ever going to stop and smell the roses? Um, or if you haven't experienced it yet, you know, when, when do you, how far do you go? How long do you try? Are you trying the right things? Are you pivoting? Are you listening enough? You know, it, like if you're an influencer, you are dependent on a lot of things that are far outside of your control. One of the many examples, just the algorithm of Instagram, YouTube, all the different social platforms, you can't control that algorithm and the ever-changing nature of those platforms. And so, you know, maybe for a while, something is working for you. I've experienced this in our group. Um, you know, something's working really well for you and you're getting, you're getting all this engagement and you're so excited and you're all motivated and then nothing on your end changes except all the engagement goes away. <laughs> it drops and you're like, what do I do with this? <laughs> and and there, you, you're going to have to do something because you want that engagement back. But the answer of what to do isn't always so clear because, again, it's just it's things outside of your control. So. It can be draining. It can be exhausting. And uh, I'll tell you, when you, you, one of the first questions you asked me today is like, what are the common misconceptions about influencer marketing? One of them is that, you know, it's the easiest thing. You're just taking selfies all day and like you're making all this money and you're living the life and it's easy. I can tell you firsthand <laughs> from representing influencers for years to now working with industry professionals to just our personal branding. It, it is one of the most difficult things you could ever sign yourself up for actually. So it's very different. Well, and then representing them is probably even harder because you have skin in the game. <laughs> so they're relying on you to help keep that going, I'm assuming. 
so that that I'm really glad you pointed that out. And one thing I, I wanted to say about the algorithm, you know, so Gary Vee has this line where he's like, there is no algorithm because it always changes. There is no algorithm. So don't play like there's an algorithm, but I've seen it, you know, uh, there was a month, uh, like last year, I think there was this like month where my Instagram stories were like exploding. I was like, is this this is fantastic. Like I've never seen this kind of traction and then it goes away. Right now, if you're on IG Reels, like it's probably a good idea. You're probably going to get more reach because platforms push what they want you to use. Um, But I completely agree with that. I want to ask you this. Back to the concept of an influencer. I think there's two camps of people and there's people who understand what it is, people who gravitate towards it, those influencers out there who are quote unquote authentic, always bringing value, like The Rock, right? He just hit 200 million, uh, I believe, followers or something like that. Like every people are like, this guy should be president. You know, there's there's that camp of people who look at influencers in, in a certain light, and obviously that's a larger than life example. There's many um, kind of on a different rung, so to speak. But then there's the other camp who again, use that word, that term, that market as a place to quote unquote demonize social media. And it's so funny. I was filming a client the other day and a woman, as we were filming and we were in a public place. So I, I mean, I couldn't get upset, but she goes, social media is the devil. I mean, plain as day in the middle of us recording. I was like, thank you. <laughs> but there's two camps of people. So if you have the capacity to influence and, you know, work with someone like you and get my brand out there and help brands and help people. How do you respond to not only just, we already talked about the pressure, but how do you respond to the negative people out there who are in that camp of this is exactly what's wrong with social media. You know, this person is just indulgent and, and here they are. And how do I tell my friends I'm an influencer? Yeah, I don't play to those people. I I just think that you're never going to please everybody. And um, I don't know. And there's only so much energy that a person can expel in a day. And this shit is already so hard. So I'm, I, I would, it makes no sense for me to convert those people. Um, that's not sort of the business that I'm in. I'm sort of, I want to convert the people who, uh, who I've got hooked, uh, and who maybe, you know, they love the content, but it's like, how do I get them to actually make a purchase? How do I get them to, um, tune into my TikTok if I'm predominantly on Instagram? Um, I always say like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. So it's also about, just utilizing what you've got and building upon that versus basically starting completely fresh to try to influence someone who is just, they're not the, they're not your people. They're not the audience that you want to go after. That's going to be a really big uphill battle. And I just don't think it's worth it. I I agree. My next thought is about breaking onto social at this point, in my opinion, and this is why I specialize in LinkedIn and, and my clients, I've done very well, but I'm already kind of anticipating like that cliff, to, you know, that to fall off a cliff at some point, meaning, you know, if you're not there early enough, then it's really not going to happen. So if I am someone who has a specific talent, can probably build a community, I still believe the the uphill battle of gaining or, you know, garnering a following on Facebook, on Instagram, on TikTok, well, maybe not TikTok, TikTok, it's possible. But you know, these people want to exist everywhere and you work in, in, you know, across all these industries and have obviously expertise on, on these platforms. 
how should people approach it? And, you know, I know there's always go to where your audience is, but if I don't have an audience yet, where would you say you should begin or how to approach it without trying to boil the ocean, so to speak? Yeah, that's a really good question. I do think that, you know, I hear the question a lot, which is, can I even start now? Am I late to the game? Is there room for me? And just my experience, the answer is yes. And and there's absolutely space for you. And I'll tell you, it's just from personal experience. It's not really conjecture. It's that like every every couple of years or every few years, especially, there's it seems like there's like a new crop of exciting influencers. And I don't know. I'll always speak personally. I just, you know, I sort of get bored of people every so often. I'm, I, I feel like brands and and just uh, everybody is sort of the same. Like if sometimes some of the influencers who have really have are, who are incredibly successful are brilliant because they can constantly keep it fresh. But that is rare to be able to do. Um, they start to sort of feel a little stale, and you're like, all right, I got that. Or I've just I'm in a new stage of my life. And so maybe when I was young and just concerned about like fashion and lipstick, like I'm not so into that anymore. Like now I'm in a new phase of life where other things are more important to me. And that influencer doesn't really talk about that anymore. Um, so I, I think that there's absolutely space for new people coming up. Um, it's a matter of how to get to a sizable following in a reasonable amount of time <laughs> um, so that you can kind of skip that terrible phase <laughs> which is that, you know, you're creating incredible content theoretically, but nobody's really seeing it. So how do you, how do you grow? Um, and how do you get your great content to the right people? Um, and there's a lot of strategy in that, of course. We talk about that um, in the consulting that I do for sure. But to give you a little bit of a teaser <laughs> for what that could look like, um, you know, it's about collaborating with people who already have a following. Um, it's making sure that you're you're bringing constant value. And that could be in any sort of capacity. Like if you're a fashion blogger, bring value and how to style an outfit like you've never seen and how to wear something in maybe a different body shape or, you know, something. There's so much value to, you know, of course, like if you're, I've seen a lot of doctor influencers lately. <laughs> I saw this video the other day about, it. this went viral, pretty sure it was on TikTok. It was about a dentist who um, was telling us that we've all been putting the wrong amount of toothpaste paste on our toothbrushes uh, forever. And in fact, like it makes so much sense because of course the toothpaste companies want you to put a whole big lump of toothpaste on your toothbrush because they want to sell more toothpaste. But <laughs> as a dentist, he's actually like, no, that's just, that's because they want to sell more product. You should actually just put a tiny little dab. You don't need that whole, that whole thing. And people's minds were blown. <laughs> Because, you know, it's it's value that's being brought. Nobody talks about that. It's just done, but it's done every single day, twice a day, you know, and and yet this guy can spend, you know, 30 seconds on a TikTok and like blow your mind. So if you're constantly able to bring value, whether it's, you know, as mundane as how much toothpaste to put on your toothbrush 
to, you know, larger things of maybe, you know, how to vote, uh, how to, how to fight, you know, uh, register to vote and, you know, an absentee ballot and the proper ways to do that. I saw this great Netflix special the other day about, um, about voting. And I actually even learned a couple things, um, to make sure that my vote is counted, just constantly bringing value. You got to talk about stuff that you're enthusiastic and really passionate about though, because, Otherwise, there there just won't be enough content to create if if you're not interested enough in that content too. That's something really important as well. Look, I've I've been doing this for for two years. I'm I'm a retired Marine who went to a corporate job and quit that job after I was like, this is awful. And then I I don't want, I didn't stumble onto this. I. I poked around at my curiosities until I landed on something. I was like, wow, this is actually a problem I can solve. But what I've seen over the last two years is, I don't want to say it's a shift, but it's very tangible that the more educating you can do, the better it is. You just mentioned the dentist. I have a friend who's a plumber and he's been on YouTube for a couple years. And this year, it like it just caught. And he exploded. I'm I'm talking like fifty thousand new subs a week, uh, you know, one month, uh, six figure months off of you know AdSense and just all kinds of things. So I'm like, okay. And he's a plumber, and all he's trying to do is influence people that you know in in a way that the trades are still fair game and that you can make a good living in in the trades. There's a lot of educating. Where are you on that? And what you should be educating people on. Because I think there's a part of us that knows what we could talk about with our eyes closed, but then there's also kind of a need in the market to be educated on a certain subject. So where should you lean if, if I'm an individual? Should Where I know a little bit about or where I know everything with my eyes closed? I mean, I don't know. I'm always one for education. Um, again, I think that it's just knowing your audience. Uh, you know, at WIM, for example, we we are pretty split, I would say. And, and we've asked this question of our group pretty often. It's like, what types of events do you want us to do? Do you want us to do more educational events or do you want us to do more networking events? They, they cater to very different people. Some people who are, you know, wanting to constantly educate themselves are those who are just a little bit more cerebral. Um, and those who want to network are like the social butterflies of the world. <laughs> and so it's like, what do we do? Because I, there was a recent post where I just asked everybody, which is important. Just ask your audience. If you're wondering, you'll get really incredible information if you do that. And we did. And it was pretty much split 50, 50, <laughs> which, you know, is that helpful? I mean, any information's helpful. It'd be more helpful if it was, you know, if it was screwed one way or the other. Um, but it just depends on your audience. And this is something important to keep in mind. So like, what do you do if you get mixed messages like that? Like if it's, if it, if one post, the, the information that you get back is pretty split, ask on different platforms, ask it like, let's say on Instagram, Instagram is a beautiful example. You've got types of, of audience that's, uh, that's looking at your stories. You have a different type of audience that's looking at your feed. Um, you have a different audience that is looking at your reels um, and discovering you in different ways. And that's all on one platform, <laughs> right? And so, you know, we were ta- I was talking to my boyfriend the other day and I was like, how do you, cause he's in a lot of private Facebook groups as well. And I was like, how do you consume that content 
Um, and he was like, well, I usually just go to that group and I will just scroll, scroll, scroll. And I'm like, that's so interesting. I very rarely do that. I usually go to the bottom. If we're talking about the app, I go to the bottom. It's like, I think it's a third button from the left where it's the feed of all your groups. Because I'm like, this is just a curated feed of all the groups that I subscribe to. And so I just sort of do it that I, I consume all the groups at once versus going to one individually. And then of course, like the, the, it's like, okay, well then that means as an owner of a private Facebook group, I just need to post more often because I was thinking if I post an announcement at the top of the Facebook group, everyone's seeing it because it's the first post and it's pinned there. But if you, if you consume the content the way that I do, you're actually not always seeing that post because you're just seeing it in the feed. Yes. Well, I do what you do. I go to groups. It's on that bottom row. And then I just click on the groups that I know. I mean, otherwise, I just know I'm going to see on my regular feed stuff that's, I don't know, potentially irrelevant, right? Just like friends, updates, and all that other stuff. I want to, if I'm in this marketing group and that marketing group and this impact area group or whatever, I want to see what's going on there. Uh, so I consume the same way. It's really funny that you say that. I am looking here at your areas of expertise and the, you know, digital talent representation, digital marketing production, of course, but there's digital IP deal structure. So I'm now an influencer. I now have a brand. I now have a following and now I'm getting approached or I've approached people. Um, when it comes to this deal structure, can you talk to me about things that people should know when they're going into it? Do they need someone to represent them? Do they need a management company? Do they need a lawyer? How should they pursue this in a way that's going to be uh, not lopsided, so to speak? Yeah, well, that is a great question and something that's hugely important. So, you know, let's let's move away from, you know, trying to get a brand deal um, and let's go to this really pivotal point where you've got one, you know, right in front of you. Um, yeah, there are a ton of things that need to be uh, looked at and um, to make sure that, like you said, it's not lopsided, that it's mutually beneficial for all the parties involved. And uh, there are very specific terms in an agreement for an influencer deal that are different from any other deal that um, that talent could be working on. And so by just hiring, you know, any old lawyer or family friend or, you know, a, a husbander or a momager <laughs> who's going to look and review a contract for you, that person just is absolutely not going to know what they need to know in order to make sure that you're not going to get burned um, signing this contract. Um, however, I will tell you that when I was managing talent more often <laughs> and had my own agency, that when we would be in talks with influencers who were not represented prior to, to you know, speaking with us, I would say at least nine out of 10 were like, oh, I just never even reviewed the contract. Like I just signed it. I always just signed it. You know how much stuff I've got going on? I got to create content for the next week. I've got to create my video and my, my this and my that. Like, I don't have time to do that. Like, I just want the money. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> what, what did they miss in the contracts then that we should know about? <laughs> 
Right. Oh my gosh. So what did they miss? I will tell you one of the most important things to, I mean, one of the many important things to review, talking about exclusivity. So, you know, wonderful that you want to make $10,000, let's say, oh my God, how exciting it is that somebody is offering me $10,000. But if that includes exclusivity, okay, let's start from the beginning. Let's say that you are, I don't know, I keep using this. Well, let's, let's change it up from fashion. Can I give you an example? Yeah. The plumber guy, right? He, he got approached by Cottonelle. Yes. And they're like, dude, we would love for you to make a video on why our stuff should flush, right? But then maybe there's, uh, I have no idea, brand B or something like that. Maybe that's a good example. It is a great example because that's his shtick, right? Like that, that he's got, you know, one main topic that he talks about. It's not like he's a lifestyle influencer and he talks about his day, you know, he talks about that. So, you know, yes, Cottonelle makes so much sense <laughs> that he would partner with. However, let's say brand B comes around and they're offering double what Cottonelle offered. But if he signed that contract for a shiny $10,000, he's going to absolutely miss out on the $100,000 deal if that contract included some very, very specific exclusivity. And exclusivity for people who are listening that may not know what that means. Exclusivity is just saying, you know, I'm exclusively working with this brand and that brand doesn't want to share you <laughs> with, with a competing brand. So an exclusivity term would include in this instance, you know, no other toilet paper brands, or it could be far more expansive than that, because of course they're just looking out for themselves. So maybe, you know, no um, consumer goods brands or, you know, something super broad, super, you know, super broad that would exclude you from future deals. So I think that's, that's one of the many, many uh, things that are included in a contract that's worth looking out for. Because again, as exciting as it is to get $10,000, uh, a manager will look out for, you know, the future deals that you're potentially missing out on as well. Excellent. Well, I have two more questions. And one is one I, I am obsessed with. Um, when people approach us, I get this question when I listen to other marketers and, and prominent marketers. That this, this is a conversation that always comes around. And it is, what is the ROI? So if I am an influencer and I get approached and they're going to pay me that $10,000 that you expected, uh, I'm assuming that most traditional brands are going to expect something out of it. And that ROI might be in terms, uh, it might be lead gens, it might be impressions, it might be whatever it may be. How would you categorize the importance of it? Because uh, I, I just feel like there's, there's the quantitative piece, but then there's a qualitative piece that often gets missed. Uh, so what is the ROI conversation that you've experienced when it it, when it comes to what an influencer should be able to achieve. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, let's be real. I mean, the brands are paying these, you know, huge amounts of money. So I'd be pissed if I was them. <laughs> it wasn't getting ROI. You know, there are a lot of influencers out there or even managers who, you know, will say, oh, it's just about, you know, brand awareness <laughs> and, you know, stats schmats. Like, I don't have to, you know, like the algorithm changes all. The I mean, there's like excuse after excuse after excuse, maybe because I'm a little more removed from it <laughs> <laughs> now. Um, and again, like whim is just very agnostic in that we just, we support 
women who work in all capacities uh, in the space. But look, I, I'm most concerned about the longevity of our industry. And so from that perspective, if, uh, if we don't have a focus on ROI, it just loses legitimacy of our industry. And so with that being said, I think that one of the first conversations that needs to happen is what ROI are you looking for? There should be ROI, of course, but that looks different depending on strategy. And that's where more senior folks come into play, where it's really educating them on, you know, all right, let me take a good snapshot of, of your brand, of your goals. And now we can really identify and get strategic about what we're looking to achieve here. That could be so many different things depending on the brand. Um, you know, a small brand is probably going to be most concerned with moving product. And a larger brand is going to be maybe more concerned with, I don't know, getting followers or uh, again, like brand awareness, you know, expanding an email list. Because, you know, at that point, you know, you're not necessarily going to sell a product upon impression one, but you've now maybe gotten that consumer into your funnel. And now that they're in your funnel, you know, impression five, six, 20 may be what actually is actually necessary to convert that person. And so, you know, marketers who are really experienced understand that process and understand that it, most of the time it takes time to be able to convert a person into a paid customer. But that ROI and the the goals that are for that campaign or that partnership need to be expressed. And then the influencer needs to say that also aligns with my audience and what I can produce for you. And uh, it goes back to just like doing business 101. Everybody's got to talk to each other, communicate with each other and make sure everyone's on the same page. Got it. And they that they have a contract that they agree with and that does not necessarily have exclusivity if that's not what they desired. So last question is, is whim. So how did this come about? I mean, uh, you have uh, years and years of industry experience. You had your own agency and then whim came about, or I don't want to say came about, but you have this nonprofit now. What What led you to that route and and obviously you were compelled to do it but was there a moment that you're like I have to do something more and and what triggered that yeah so whim has always been it, it, it started out as a passion project for me it started out about five years ago when I was very early on I used to represent actors uh, in commercials at a very large talent agent, very old school, large talent agency. Um, and I started their influencer division there. They were representing influencers and I saw that there was something there. It sort of aligned with their commercial department of that, that it's commercial endorsement deals. Um, and the rest was sort of history. And when I was starting out, I knew that there was something there, but I didn't necessarily know how to like do it because it's it was so new. Um, and so I was just personally looking for a community that I could 
that I could go to and ask questions and meet other people who, who were in the same boat and we can share information and make our work better. And so that was how WIM was born. I, it was a conversation. I'm, I'm a big networker. I love to meet new people. I mean, you're probably the same way. I feel like any podcast hosts that your format is, you know, conversations like these, like you're inquisitive. You like to meet people. You like to learn things. So, you know, yeah, absolutely. Right. And it's fun. So um, I was out at breakfast with someone and I, I told her, I was like, this is my idea coupled with the fact that I've always been really passionate about women in business. So we decided to just make it a women's focus group. And I was like, I have a name, women in influencer marketing when it's shortened as an acronym is WIM. And I think it sounds like women. And I don't know, is that silly? Is that, what is that? Is that, is this anything? Um, And she was like, I like it. Let's like, let's, just use both of our networks and our companies and let's like do an event or something. And we did. And, you know, within a couple years down the road after many events and starting a Facebook group and a podcast and all these things, we, you know, then we official became official by registering it as a, as a nonprofit. And we're a 501c4, which is a networking organization, you know, then COVID happens and arguably it's been a more important resource for our members than ever before, because, you you know, we have a job board and in addition to the job board, you know, we have a community. I don't know. I ask people frequently in the group. I'm like, where, what do you get the most value from in the group? Cause we have a lot of different services and everything. And the community aspect of it is huge. I think it's just, it's the ability to network with, with other people who are just like you um, going through similar things and like the power of meeting other people who are going through the same struggles and who want the same achievements. It's just a really powerful thing. So we're really excited about um, we're launching a premium membership in the next month or so, and um, just really taking it to the next level. It's really exciting. That's great. Uh, we'll definitely make sure to link to that. And I just want to ask a follow on to that, Jesse, which is you were talking about the the community and how it started. And this was a passion project. I mean, it all starts at, at it, it seems like all these things always start at a lunch conversation or a breakfast conversation, and you just kind of put it out into the universe. Uh, because this is an, uh, a podcast geared towards entrepreneurs or aspiring business owners, and it could be nonprofit as well, what was it about you that said, this is completely possible? I mean, is it that one piece of validation, that one support that you were like, okay, like I'm, I'm going after this? Or was it the potential to live, I could be assuming here, but a little bit more autonomously, like this is mine, I'm creating it. Uh, what was it that allowed you to pursue, make the passion to something that actualized? Well, you know, it's been a long process is, is the real answer. Uh, you know, I never want to like romanticize these things. I listen to a lot of podcasts that they, it sounds too good to be true. <laughs> and if you're a real entrepreneur, you know that like there are probably more stressful days than not. And there's more, you know, it's not as glamorous as people make it seem. It's good stress, though. It's better stress than the stress I was dealing with. I, I mean, to me. I, yes, I hear that. And and I agree. I worked a corporate job, many corporate jobs, too. And yes, absolutely you know, it's been a long process. Again, like this has been about five years in the making. I've had other companies as well, um, all in the influencer space. I think that 
what really confirmed that I've been onto something and that it's something that I want to continue to pursue is the reaction from other people um, where people just privately message me and thank me for, you know, putting this together and for having this group exist in the first place. Um, and to know that I'm like really helping people and really making a difference in people's lives. Like, uh, you know, fun fact, I, I was, I have a BFA in theater. <laughs> Like I, 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 no one taught me how to run a business. No one, that was not my education. If I could do it again, I'd probably do it differently. I really respect people and admire people who've been fortunate enough to have, you know, a business degree or, you know, all these things. Um, Again, I'm very passionate about education, but uh, I don't have that. Um, And so when I sort of had the ability as an adult (laughs) to really have a career that makes an impact with people and just really actually changes people's lives, uh, I like, I can't not do that. Like I have to do that because, you know, especially in a year like we're having this year, uh, you got to follow where the good is. And the amount of resources that we provide, it's just a really special thing, the community that we've built. So when these people reach out and they're like, oh my gosh, like, thank you. I'm like, no, but seriously, thank you. (laughs) Because this group wouldn't be anything if I was just yelling into an echo chamber. It's (laughs) Yeah, you know. I'm so, so happy you said that. Because one thing I've been trying to push, at least with my audience where they are, is you know, there's there's plenty of posts that I make that have not. There's nothing special about them. The 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 metrics are pedestrian. But what people don't see, and the metric that is not displayed, is that inbox message that you get exactly like you said. That I'm grateful for this, or thank you for this, or because of this podcast, or because of this video that you made, this happened. And then of course that feeling of gratitude is is now 360 because no, you're like thank you. You listened. You know, I put something out there, you listened and it helped. So that reinforces the fact that what we're doing is is viable and something we should continue. So uh, I, I really appreciate that comment and I'm glad I'm glad that's exactly how you feel. So I just want to say thank you so, so much uh, for being on. And I want to make sure people can find you uh, on wherever you want to be found. So where can people find you and a little bit more about WIM? So, you know, the best way to get in touch, um, you know, we've got it, whether it's the organization, it's IamWim.com. That's double I, I am Wim, women in influencer marketing.com. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. If you'd like to just connect with me personally, it's Jesse Grossman and Jesse's with a Y. Those are the, probably the easiest ways to connect. And I, again, I can't impress it enough. Like I'm a huge networker, so I love connecting with new people, whether they're, you know, new to influencer influencer marketing. Um, We need more people like you. So don't be afraid to reach out um, and, you know, to experience people who are just looking to do better business or just want to connect. So I love when people reach out. So please do. Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for listening to Jesse and I. Again, you could find her at Women in Influencer Marketing, Google it, you will find her. And that's also the name of the podcast. Reach out to her if you have any questions. Again, uh, if she provided you any value and I provided you any value through our conversation, please consider uh, taking a couple minutes to rate and review this podcast so that more people can enjoy it just like you did. 
Thank you so, so much for listening to us. And we will see you in a couple days. Bye.